Welcome to Creating a Family, talk about foster, adoptive, and kinship care. I'm Dawn Davenport. I am the host of this show as well as the director of the nonprofit, creatingafamily.org. Today, we're going to be talking about whether you should consider adopting a child of a different race or ethnicity. We'll be talking with Megan Nam Holtz. She is a licensed master social worker and a Korean adoptee. She has been involved in adoption advocacy, awareness, and support for over a decade. She created an award-winning documentary film, Found in Korea, about birth search, country of origin travel, identity, and adoption. She has a private counseling practice specializing in adoption. Welcome, Nam, to Creating a Family. We're so glad to have you. Thanks so much, John. I'm very happy to be here. So I just want to start by saying we think in terms, and, and over broadly, I think, or over narrowly, really, of transracial adoption being white parents adopting children of color, either a black children, or it could be, and that's what we predominantly think of, but it can also be white parents adopting Asian or Latinx kids, as well as Asian, Latinx, and black families adopting white children. So it is a broader concept, I think, than we think about. But I do think that in the United States, the predominant is white families adopting. So I just wanted to acknowledge, because I don't want to exclude and make it seem as if that families of color don't also adopt transracially, because they do. But starting as a white parent, so if you are a white parent, are there different issues you need to consider depending on the race of the child you are considering adopting? I think that's a great question. And overall, the short answer is yes, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. I I think there are some overarching topics that everyone should be considering when adopting a child of another race. But as you zoom in to the specifics of a race, yes, there are differences to consider. Absolutely. And, you know, sometimes we hear less perhaps now than in the past. But we'll hear families, when they're considering adopting, they'll say, well, I would prefer uh, to adopt, if I'm going to do transracial adoption, I would prefer to adopt a biracial child rather than a child who is all black or all Latinx. And that's an interesting thing, and it it worries me some. So what are some issues that they should consider if that's how they're feeling? It, It worries me as well when I hear that. And I and I'd like to pull apart why they think adopting a biracial child would be maybe easier for them. Mm-hmm. That's than, what we hear. Mm-hmm. And I and I really wonder if if they have done the research and understand the complexities of being a biracial person in this world today. And maybe they think that part of their identity as white would also relate to their identity as as white parents. Maybe that's what they're they're reflecting. But I truly believe that it is even more complex to have a biracial person in the the fold because it is more identities that need to be realized and recognized. But if one of the identities is white, let's assume it is a a child that is uh, black and white, biracial, African-American and white child. Would it the, the theory is from many parents are thinking, well, it would be we can always bring the the white, we're white, so we can bring that culture in. So it's that thinking. So what would you say to that? I would say that experiencing the world as a biracial person is a liminal experience in itself. And there are less people that will understand that experience. And so it is even more difficult to find mentors and people who understand walking through the world as a biracial mm-hmm. person than it is as maybe one single race. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. I think that it is a it is a big mistake to think that because you have a white identity that that will and this is putting it bluntly that that will help that child mm-hmm. uh, see their white identity because there aren't they aren't white. Mm-hmm. That's the reality is mm-hmm. they're not they are not walking through the world as white. They are biracial and right. <laughs> and that is an identity in and to itself. And as you said, then if you're trying to help that child identify, you're helping help them identify as biracial. And your options are uh, it's harder to find. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I also worry a little that 
that parents think that, so if we adopt a biracial child, they're Korean light or they're black light or whatever. They're not, they're not really black. They're not really Korean or they're not really Chinese or, or Hispanic. They're, they're only a little bit. And I think that's one of my main concerns is not understanding if this child's identity is going to be as a biracial person or as a black person or as a Korean person. Right. And when we really pull apart the concept of Korean light or black light or anything light, we get into a little bit of racial bias Mm -hmm. and we really start looking at why do we think that might be better? Mm Mm-hmm. Or easier, I think it's probably easier. easier is, or maybe the subconscious is better. That's a valid right. Point. Yeah. But, and then it also, to me, points out the fact that there has not been a lot of racial work that has been done. If you have mm-hmm. that mindset, mm-hmm. and so if you are considering adopting a child of a different race, that's the work that needs to go in before. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Did you know that one of the resources Creating a Family provides is an interactive training support curriculum for foster, adoptive, and kinship families? This curriculum can be used for support groups. It can be used for training of adoptive, foster, or kinship families. It's a turnkey curriculum. We have a library of them. We have 23 currently, 23 topics. Each topic comes with a video, a facilitator guide, a handout, and additional resources. It also comes with a certificate of attendance if you need CE credit. It is a terrific resource. It is super easy to use. So if you have the need to train, or if you're running a support group, or if you belong to a support group, I would encourage you to check it out. Go to creatingafamily.org, and it is under our training tab. You know, you mentioned at the beginning when I asked about, does it matter the race of the child? And you said the there are some overarching issues, which we're going to talk about. But you said but that can the specifics differ as to the race of the child. What are some of the specifics that you can consider? And let's, there are obviously many different races, but let's say black, let's say, would you be comfortable saying Asian rather than breaking it down? Okay, so Asian and Mm -hmm. then Latinx. So what are some of the things that, the specific things that parents should consider depending on the race? And I will throw out depending on where they live. Huge questions. And, (laughs) you know, it's also going to depend on that child. Sure. Yeah, exactly. And the temperament and the personality and everything else, right? Absolutely. It's going to depend on that child. So you're going to put it, be putting all these things together. <laughs> I think you need to immerse yourself in that specific child's world. You need to understand what it will be like to walk through that child's life as that child. And so you would need to find a community, find mentors, find fr- people that can be in that child's world that will be specific to that race, maybe culture, but provide mirrors and mentors for that child. So you're going to have to look, and you brought up depending on where someone lives, you might have to move. Mm -hmm. You might have to move to provide the best environment. Mm -hmm. And that's a big one. Sure. I think it's a really big question. If if you're looking at specifics of, of Black kids, And what I've been hearing is, this is hard to say, but you need to have preparation to talk about dealing with law enforcement, Mm -hmm. the history specific Mm -hmm. to Blacks in America. Mm -hmm. And this is going to go with every single race. Mm -hmm. And you're going to have to dive into each specific history of Asians in America, Mm -hmm. Latinx in America. You're going to have to go specifically into those things. And you can't, when you start going in, you can't help but learn about other minority, quote quote, unquote, minority Mm -hmm. (laughs) or global majority, whichever you want to call it. Yeah, I was just Um, going to say, it soon won't be the minority. uh, So we uh, be careful of that word. Yes, yes. I think that as you go down the path of learning about a specific race, you you cannot help but learn about others, which is, Mm -hmm. I think, great. Mm -hmm. Sure. For us uh, and but, for our children. Yes, absolutely. And and like learning about the stereotypes, because you're going to need to learn how to, how to handle microaggressions and be prepared for 
preparing the child to handle microaggressions. And they're Mm -hmm. all specific. Mm -hmm. They're all very specific. And it seems like maybe the foundation of what you said was at the very beginning that depending on where you live, you're going to need help as a parent. You're going to need people of your child's race to teach you. And so you need to look at where you're at and 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 your own comfort level of immersing yes. yourself in that environment and in that culture to help you decide whether whether that's a good fit for you and your family to be the best Absolutely. parent for this child. That brings up an issue. Is there a difference between transracial and transcultural adoptions? There absolutely is. And for a long time, the concept of transracial encompassed transcultural. I think there's been a great shift into differentiating that transracial and transcultural are things that people should be talking about in a different way. There are obviously some transcultural adoptions that can be same race. Mm -hmm. I think that's people don't recognize that, but very, very often when you are adopting a same-race child, the birth family will be coming from a different culture. And that can throw, especially with open adoptions, can really throw families for a for a loop. It sure can. Mm-hmm. It sure can. So I think in, in recognizing that transracial adoptions are literally a different race child joining a different race family, and transcultural are, you're coming from another country joining a different a different culture mm-hmm. and there are different considerations there are language considerations there are you know traditions lost mm-hmm. that that you're not going to know unless you do the research mm-hmm. there are different foods and <laughs> sounds mm-hmm. it's it's a it's a different it's more dramatic i think to add that layer and so i think it's great that people are talking about the fact that transcultural and transracial adoptions are not the same. Mm-hmm. So I guess our goal as parents primarily is to raise children that have healthy self-identity as well as racial identity. Mm-hmm. How do those two differ? I think they're intertwined. Self-identity and racial identity. Self-identity is is the whole, the whole gestalt, the whole person, the whole including racial identity which can be a leading factor in identity, for sure. But it's not the only factor, right? It's definitely not the only factor. Mm -hmm. And, you know, allowing youth to express what they're most interested in discovering at that point in their lives is the goal, right? Mm -hmm. So sometimes they'll be very interested in looking at their race, and sometimes they will not be. Yeah. So leaving that door open. And making sure that it's okay to talk about those things is the goal, I think. Mm-hmm. Right. I have a friend who was dropping her daughter who was adopted from China off at a large university, and she made a point of driving by the Asian Society. It was a group that, that and she wanted her daughter to see it was there. And her daughter said, Mom, that's not my only identity. <laughs> that's it's one part, but that's not... I may want to join them, but I may not. I may want to join the LBGQ community. I may want to join. Uh, there are so many things that I want to consider. But, uh, of course, as a typical 18-year-old felt her mother was you know, shoving it down. And, and, and the mom understood it. She goes, yeah, I'm, I get it. That For me, this is I'm worrying about you, and I want to make sure that you are focusing on your racial identity. This is a great opportunity for you to do that. But I also appreciate that you have many identities that you are working on and you get to prioritize. So, yeah. Right. How do you walk that line between, you know, giving them uh, agency and <laughs> being supportive and not shoving it down their throats? It's very hard. As a parent, all <laughs> I'm going to say is it is a fine line. And honestly, uh, it's it, nobody does it. You, I always say I, I throw it out there. I throw the ball out there. It's their choice whether to catch. But I'm also aware that even by throwing it, that I'm making a statement to them. And I think that sometimes it is that they would rather I not, but I don't know how to indicate to them that I am totally open for the conversation without periodically throwing it out. So I throw it and they can let it drop, you know? (laughs) You know, a lot of the kids that I work with say, they kind of roll their eyes when their parents 
throw yes. that ball. <laughs> oh, they yes. do. But at the same time, you know, I think deep down they're like comforted and 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 grateful that it's there. Because if it wasn't so. there, I feel I feel like it would be more difficult yeah. to even acknowledge it. Mm-hmm. And so they're like, well, if my adult figure in my life is not afraid mm-hmm. to toss that ball, mm-hmm. maybe it's not such a big, scary, terrible thing to talk about or think mm-hmm. about. Or they're not, I don't want them to think that we're not comfortable talking about it. And if you don't throw the ball, you're giving them the idea that this is a topic that mom and dad don't want to talk about or are uncomfortable to talk about. Right. And so if anything else, I figured, and I, yes, and you, the the rolled eyes, uh, you know, sometimes they're going to get stuck that way. (laughs) So, and so maybe, maybe it's not a ball. Maybe it's like a balloon with a little helium in it and it stays lofted. And if they want, they can, they can get it, you know, just a little bit. So it's kind of just lofting there. It's just hanging there and they can either choose to bat it away, but they can't bat it too far. (laughs) Right. I mean, it's, but it's there and they know it's there and it's light. Mm-hmm. And it's 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 for them to do with what they want. Yeah, I like that analogy. The Jacobing Family Foundation has supported us uh, throughout the years, and one of the things they do is help us provide twelve free courses that are available to you. They are courses focused on parenting, adoptive, foster, and kinship kids. You can find them at bit.ly slash jbf support bit.ly slash jbf support they are free to you they can if you need uh, continuing education credit you can receive it from that you get a certificate of completion they're just terrific and we thank the jockey being family foundation for their support so you alluded at the beginning a little bit but let's talk about what does it take uh, as a parent to raise a child, and a parent who doesn't share the race of their child, what does it take to raise a child to have a healthy racial identity? And and with a, knowing that that is a part of having a healthy self identity, you mentioned that uh, the things you mentioned at the beginning were finding mentors and mm-hmm. finding a community for that child to be able to to feel one with. So, what are some other things that parents need to think about when they're considering adopting transracially? Well, I, I think before any of that, before the decision is made, you need to ask yourself and investigate why, why are you, first of all, why are you adopting? (laughs) And then Mm -hmm. why are you adopting a child of another race? Add that to the mix. You Mm -hmm. have to ask yourself that question and give yourself an answer and think about the fact that you are going to need to give that answer to your child at various ages. Mm Mm-hmm. So considering that, wondering if you've done the research, have you listened to other transracial adoptees? Have you listened to the voices of other people's experiences? Have you investigated some of your fears? Really looking at your fears and being honest about them. Have you sought professional support and advice? And if you have not, if it's not available to you, how will you get it? Mm-hmm. These are big questions. Have you thought about, and I mentioned this before, have you thought about prepping to deal with microaggressions and boundaries? Give an example of microaggressions. We have talked about it on this show, but yeah, give an example so that for Something people- Something that I listeners. get. My, me personally, I'm an Asian female. Sometimes I get, oh, you speak English so well. Mm-hmm. That's an example of a microaggression. Mm-hmm. They may be very well intended, but it still is othering. Mm-hmm. Have you looked at your resources? Have you taken a good look at your circles, your concentric circles, your close, close people, your family, your friends, your neighbors, your community, the teachers that will be involved, mm-hmm. the people, the helpers, the coaches? Have you thought about if those people are adoption aware, adoption informed? Have you thought about if they're specific to the race of your child? Have you thought about how comfortable you are with people, the race of the child you're going to adopt? These are big Mm -hmm. questions. These are, you know, you have to investigate your own willingness to investigate your own humility and your own 
cultural unknown and how how willing are you to say i don't know this and how willing are you to say i don't know this and i need to figure out how to learn more about it mhm mhm so yeah i discovered a lot of things no that's <laughs> perfect and what are your options for have you thought about what your options are for learning more about this exactly. about your child your child's culture right and and those are if you if we can set up all those things before that all goes into providing a safe environment where your child will hopefully have the means to develop a full healthy identity and ask the questions and feel all the feelings you know because you want to be able to let that whole thing unfold <laughs> as that child is ready mhm so before you consider adoption you really need to think about whether you are the right family to adopt a child of this race Absolutely. without judgment perhaps just saying am i am i equipped right right mm -hmm. and if and if not really think about why why am i wanting this if i am admitting that i'm not equipped and what and what am i willing to do to make myself equipped and my the people around me and my 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 maybe partner or maybe not or my mm -hmm. and my family will mm -hmm. will they be supports will mm -hmm. they be with me on this i am so glad you raised family because i think that you know we jokingly say sometimes adoption is a family affair and but it really is because when you adopt a transracial child you are you adopt transracially a child of a different race you're changing not just your family because you need to acknowledge that you will no longer be a white family you will be a family that is mixed race because you have a child in your family that is not white but it also is your extended family and so i do think that's really important to give some thought to so how should prospective adoptive parents or how can they prepare their extended family members for the adoption of a child of a different race or culture it's such a great great question and topic and i think it gets overlooked so yes, often i do too and it's it there's so many resources you know start sharing some resources have mm -hmm. some conversations really get to understand their feelings on this topic because you might hit some sticky stuff and yeah. it's great to work it out before you introduce a child into your family it's better to do it before than during and there might be some places that you feel that you need to shield you know your child it's really it gets really hard and so sharing resources making space and time for those conversations mhm mm seeing how much you and your family can tolerate the uncomfortable places it's a good gauge to kind of get in there and say i admit this is going to be challenging mhm mm so are you how prepared are you to be supportive and and that can be a gauge and then you'll know because it's very hard to have someone 100% on board when they don't even know what that means yeah yeah i do think that we as parents sometimes spend a lot of time preparing ourselves and then we drop this on our parents or our siblings or our extended family and we expect them to jump on board immediately forgetting completely that we weren't on board completely at the beginning we had to think through and say and learn and 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 do some thinking but that adds time and a lot of times once we have decided okay this is we think this is a thing for us we don't allow the grace to our extended family to have that time as well and i think we don't talk about it enough it's a great point mm -hmm. it is because we do look at it as a continuum and so you started here and you've had all these months and years to prepare and you're asking people to jump on board mm -hmm. now that you've made this bigger decision mm -hmm. and yes they're starting they're just yes. at their starting point yes and if you if you have somebody in your family that you know well and you are not sure that they're ever going to be fully on board or they're going to have to change a lot and you don't know whether they're going to be able to change you have to be prepared to think you use the word shield and that's a good one your obligation once the child is here is to protect that child that is that's what you're signing up for 
And that can dramatically change your relationship with a person who you don't think it's a healthy, is not treating your child fairly, or is making racist comments or whatever. Right. And it helps to think that through. I think we, another thing we think is that they'll come around. And sometimes they do. Very often they do. But sometimes they don't. And you need to be prepared if you've got somebody in your family that you think, I really hope they come around, but I'm not sure. You need to think of how you're going to handle it if they don't. It's a big question. It is. It can alter how you relate to those relatives. Oh, it should alter how you relate to those relatives. It should. And and it will, in many times, the child gets removed from that situation or that, that person, the relative gets removed Absolutely. many times. Yes. And it's, it's a big deal. It is. And, and it helps to think about it ahead of time because, I mean, you may look at your family and go, you know, they may, this is going to be different for them, but, you know, they're going to be fine. But most of the time, you know, in your heart that there's, if there is someone who is going to really struggle with this, you can't necessarily assume and you have to be prepared for what will I do if they are not able to be around my child in a, in a way that is safe for my child's emotional, emotional development. Exactly. And I think when we're talking about this subject, it's great that you're looking at the close, the first, the first circle, you know, the Mm -hmm. family circle, but this concept extends into the community, into neighbors, into people who are going to be in your buzzing in and out of your world. Yeah. And that's in some ways, it's, it's both harder, but it's also easier. It's easier because they're not in your, they're not in the tight circle, but it's harder because you have less control over mm-hmm. uh, over that and, and, and removing yourself. I want to thank one of our partners, Vista Del Mar. They are a licensed nonprofit adoption agency with over 65 years of experience helping to create families. They offer home study only services as well as full service infant adoption, international home studies, and post adoption support. They also have a foster to adopt program. You can find them online at vistadelmar.org slash adoption. You mentioned earlier about finding role models that racially mirror your child or finding role models of your child's race. And how do you find those role models for your child? And, and, and how awkward can that be? It can be very awkward. Yep. Yes, it can. <laughs> it can be extremely awkward. And so you uh, let your child lead but also do the work yourself. So again, it's a similar concept as tossing that balloon and having them available. I ha- I worked with someone who uh, is an Asian adoptee and, and their family used to watch um, Pocahontas and I can't remember the other, the Chinese Mulan. Disney movie. Mulan, that was yeah. it. Yep. Mulan. And they watched it with the family and they they confided that they hated watching those movies because it made them feel awkward and othered. Interesting. And so how do you how do you how do you fold in media that isn't going to make your child feel awkward and and othered when you're trying to support them? It's really yeah. hard, but I think having the conversation with the child is the most important part. If that family had said, "Do you like watching this movie? Do you want to watch this movie?" We don't have to watch it now. Maybe you want to, we've watched it. Maybe you want to watch it by yourself first. Maybe you want to see how that feels. Really listening to the comfortable level, comfortability level of that child, the interest level of that child, and talking about why you think it's important to have role models and things that represent them in their lives. And saying, I think this is important because blah, blah, blah. You know, you want to be able to say why you think it's important. Like mom, mom and dad or mom and mom have this person that they, they looked up to. And so we thought it might be nice to have this for you. And that's the reason why. So if the child understands the reasoning and the intent, it could be open up a huge conversation. And maybe they're not ready. Maybe they're not developmentally ready for that mm-hmm. conversation. But I think really letting this the child have a say in how much they want to grab on. Yeah, 
That's and it's hard because because sometimes you know I've personally found that children's books were such an effective way of doing mm-hmm. that. But not just reading those books to my transracially adopted children, but the, but also reading them to the whole family, fairy tales and things like that from from their birth cultures. Yes. What I thought was a great one. And then reading it to, to the whole family, right. not just to that child. And then reading other uh, other fairy tales from other cultures so that I was not necessarily othering. That's that a great child. point. Yeah. That's great. So having it accessible to everyone in the circle in the family circle is great. And because yes, we're not just doing this for you. We're doing it for everyone. We want everyone to have these, these role models because it's sure. important. Exactly. Well, and mm-hmm. also because we are a family that has this right. We are a family of this race because we have a child in this, in our family of this race. So maybe with the Mulan, maybe, you know, alternate between frozen and Mulan and Pocahontas so that you're not, okay, we're all sitting down getting our cultural lesson here for, for uh, Susie. Uh, right. So, yeah. So throw in a little frozen if you can stand it. <laughs> the other, the, finding racial models in your community is a challenge uh, or can be a challenge. It can also not be a challenge if you're living in a community that is, uh, has a large percentage of, of people of your child's race, then it's, it's not. But thinking in terms of if, if you're blessed to be able to are in that situation, then looking for a pediatrician, looking for a dry cleaner, that type of, and seeking out if there's a teacher of, of that race in your child's school, asking to have your child placed in that, that person's class. Those are, uh, those are ideas. It's mm-hmm. harder when you're not living in an environment you have to, you have to work harder at that. It is. And you know, my supervisor, Dr. Baden always says, if you are in a racial void, you need to move to a place that's not. Mm-hmm. And that's a, you know, that's a commitment. That's a huge life change. But if that's not one of the things you're able to do or prepared to do, maybe you need to reevaluate and ask yourself why you think it's okay to not have that in your community. And if you need to drive a little while to get there, think about how that makes that child feel. Think about, you know, it's really it's a really big deal and it's a really big commitment, but so is bringing a child into your family. Mm-hmm. And if we can't do that, so she always says, move, be prepared to move to a community that, that you can have that access. Mm-hmm. And I will add one thing that I usually say to people, if you're adopting trans culturally, and this is really hardcore, but I say, learn the language, learn the language of the child that you're adopting of the culture of the country of the child that you're adopting from. It's a big deal, but there's no way you can learn a language and not learn culture, learn things that are nuanced and makes that transition that much less traumatic. It's a big thing to say. I know. Mm-hmm. Well, for, for those of us who are language challenged, uh, I, yeah, I, I struggle with English. So the thought <laughs> of, uh, of learning a different language. Yeah. We learned the, I love you very much. We learned, thank you. We learned those things and we included those as a family, but mm-hmm. I must say we did not learn. Yeah, don't even have that option as far as I took the lessons. However, it was interesting. Um, <laughs> Uh, with my and child. That, yeah. And that's, that's, that's something that says something. I yeah. think I, I know it's very hardcore of me to say that, but well, no, <laughs> it's, say about, it. it's something to consider though. I, I hear you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So what does the research show us? I, I am such a research geek. I always, I always love to take things past just the anecdotal because there's been a fair amount of research on people who have been adopted transracially. What does some of the research show? Well, some of the research that I'm aware of is that transracially adopted people fare better when their families fully acknowledge their race in domains of mental health Mm -hmm. and functionality, which is a very basic thing to think and look at. But it's, it's, you know, we had this whole colorblind concept. Mm -hmm. We see no race. Love is enough that's the best. But we realize that that's actually quite detrimental to the people of color that need them. Mm-hmm. To, they need their identities to be seen. So that's one piece of the research. Another sad 
piece of research is that adoptees are overrepresented in mental health and substance use facilities, even though we're only 2% of the population, still massively overrepresented. And they're four times more likely to commit suicide. Mm. And it is even more, the, the numbers are more intense and higher for transracially adopted people. Hmm. Interesting. It's yeah. sobering. It is sobering. It mm-hmm. absolutely is sobering. We always say that friends let friends know about podcasts. I certainly know that is the case for me. I find out most of the podcasts that I listen to have been suggested by others, and that's how others will find out about this podcast. So do us a favor. Please let your friends, your family, anyone you come in contact know about the creatingafamily.org podcast. We want to continue to grow to inspire and strengthen these families, and we can only do so if people are listening. So please let people know. We've talked about what to do if somebody in your family is, you don't think it's going to be treating your, uh, and, and the bottom line there is to be prepared to cut that person out if they can, if they're hurting your child, then you have to be willing and, and able to do that as well. What are some of the issues that come up with open adoptions when adopting across racial lines? Now, that can happen predominantly with domestic adoptions, but it can also happen some in international adoptions. But let's focus primarily on on domestic adoptions. Well, I was going to say that, you know, with the international adoptions right away, the communication is an issue. So I'll just throw that out there. It's a huge issue. Yeah, it's a huge (laughs) issue, both for adoptees as well as adoptive families. Exactly. Mm -hmm. And that that brings me back to the language comment. <laughs> but sure. in domestic adoption, it is open adoptions are there's the word is so broad, covering so many levels of openness. It's it's yes, slightly so deceptive. I think it's a slightly deceptive word. And the concept is is great, but very rarely do we hear about successful open adoptions. And some of those some of the reasons that I've seen and heard that they're challenging is because the agreements that people thought they could do, once they get into the life, they find they cannot for many reasons. And it can be distressing, extremely distressing, can be extremely emotional. And it needs to be handled with a lot of professional help and care, I think. And Mm -hmm. sometimes we can run into issues of race, racial differences. Uh, Sometimes we can run into classism issues. Sometimes we can run into, there are other children from family of origin that are still with birth family. Why, why me? Which is a really sticky one. Sure. Why did they, why are they parenting my brother? And did not are not parenting me. Mm-hmm. Right. And that's that can create some really hard discussions that sometimes aren't handled. I think that is one of the advantages, however, of an open adoption is because you have the answers. There is usually a reason why the parent is parenting a brother and or a sister, a sibling, and, and not this child. And as opposed to not having contact with the birth family, you have the you have the answer. There is right. usually a reason. It may not be an easy reason, but there's usually a reason. And when you're in closed adoptions, you're imagining the reason and making it up. Absolutely. But with open adoptions, I, you know, I'm surprised. I, I, I would love to. That's an interesting comment you made at the beginning about there aren't a lot of successful open adoptions. I guess I see them. I see successful ones, and this goes back to the anecdotal part. Without a doubt. They can be difficult. And and I think your point at the very beginning was such a good one, is that there is no really definition of open, what an open adoption is, and it can mean anything, right. anything, as long as there's, I mean, it could just be, you know, once a year sending a picture, but it can also be all the way up to having that, uh, having the birth parents babysit on Friday night. So it can be a whole lot of different things. And I think that's part of the problem when trying to, is it successful? It depends on what you're trying to achieve. And you're, it depends on who's who you're asking. Is this successful? Sure. Absolutely. Are you asking family of origin? Is this a successful open adoption? Are you asking adoptive parents? Are you asking the adoptee? 
Yeah, it can be a different right. answer from every sure. single person. So yes. that's hard to say. Uh-huh. Yeah. And the answer probably differs a lot on timing. You know, absolutely uh, it does. The age of the child and the where the birth parents are in their life. So yeah. Yes. It can vary, it can change, and it does. Yeah. But since we're talking transracial and transcultural, I think it's important to acknowledge that race comes into play in open adoptions because these people are your child's parents, uh, Mm -hmm. first parents. You are also their parents, but you share a child. So that comes in and and the the cultural and the, the, the classism. There's some power dynamics that are very challenging. Very challenging. Mm-hmm. Very challenging. Yes. Uh-huh. That's And so sure. I think it it's gonna take a lot of support to navigate that and some working through feelings of humility and guilt as an adoptive parent, as an adoptee, confusion, identity, uh, identities, code switching comes up. I think it's a really challenging place to navigate. And again, it's going to be very individual for each each family and family. Mm-hmm. Sure. Yeah, it absolutely will. I'm glad you raised the term code switching. We all do that. But transracial ad- adoptees, I think, have to do it more. Mm-hmm. So let's talk a little about that. And from a parent standpoint, understanding both what it is, but understanding the the stresses that it can cause for their child. Yes, yes. I think I think understanding that that is something that we all do is great and and that's that's some basic understanding of what it what kind of stressful situation that puts you in i think being able to have conversations acknowledging the fact that this child will be looked at and seen differently when they are not with their adoptive family is a big concept mhm it's a huge concept so when are the typical times it depends also on where you live as well. But when yes. are the times? The one that comes to mind is, of course, going to college. But what are some of the other yeah. times? Yes, yes, absolutely. Going to college, going to camps, different various camps, going on specific trips, school trips in school. If you're changing schools, obviously college is a huge one. You know, and it continues into adulthood with a new job, with a new move. A new location. At that point in adulthood, you're not seen as part of your birth, your family, your adoptive family. So how is it? Show me examples of when it comes up with your, uh, because you're not a part of your family at that point. I'll just use myself as an example. There was a time that I had to move to another country to do a job. And I was shocked at the assumption that I was either Chinese or Korean. I had never occurred to me, you know, when I opened my mouth, I have have an American accent. I speak English, but in another country, it was, it was almost, I'll use the word devastating to recognize that my, my, when you see me, I am an Asian female. Exactly. Mm -hmm. And, and I had experienced glimmers of it, obviously, before in my life, but I think it it was just such a ground shaking recognition being already in foreign ground, but still not having any tether to any specific family member or any friends in this situation. It was, it was, I think that is an example of something that I was not prepared for. And I don't think anyone in my circles knew to prepare me. Mm-hmm. And so it was just something I had to go through, figure out, learn. And the ironic part is that I was, I was in a job for, (laughs) for an Asian performance with all other Asian people. So it was, it was doubly impactful because I was, I felt like, you know, you have the imposter syndrome. I was just going to say, yeah, tell me, you felt like an, I'm not a real Asian. I'm not a real Korean. I'm not. Yeah, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. absolutely. And so you're dealing with this and and I'm speaking from my perspective, because I don't want to talk for anyone else. You're dealing with this, this identity issue with, wow, I'm, I'm recognizing that I'm perceived and seen as this, but yet I know I feel different. Mm-hmm. I mm-hmm. feel, I feel comfortable in this situation and in this situation and this situation. And I don't think that people recognize 
that I don't feel comfortable in this situation with all, mm-hmm. all these other Asian people. Mm-hmm. And it is a really nuanced conversation to have. And it, again, I don't know how to prepare people for that, but the concept of understanding when you go somewhere without us as a family, you are going to be seen at, with this race. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. And it, and that's something to, as parents we have to realize is that, and a lot of parents will say, people don't, they just see her as, in your case, your parents might say, or your parent might say, she's just a Holtz, you know, or she's just a, a Smith mm-hmm. or whatever. Mm-hmm. And and that's true to a certain extent, because we do tend to, as parents, we run in the same relatively small circles. We we see the same people, the school gets to know us, and they get to know that we have kids, and they see a Asian child or a, a, a Hispanic child, and they go, oh, that's probably a Smith. You know, that's probably one of the Smith kids. And your church is, you know, has, and so it, they, our children are seen as part of us. Yeah. But as they grow, your comment of, of a camp is a good one. So the child goes to camp and the other kids in the, in the, uh, the camp have not seen the parents drop them off. So the parents come at the at pickup time and run up and are hugging the child. And it's like, who are these white people hugging you? I mean, why are they uh-huh. hugging you? Uh-huh. And that your child is aware of that. And when you go to college and you have a, a picture of your family and, you know, why do you have that white people? Why do you have those white people on your, uh, on your bulletin board? Absolutely. So then you have to think as a, as an adoptee, well, do I want to put a picture of my family up there and invite the, or am I being disloyal right. to not do that? But do I really want to draw the attention that right. I have to explain? So, yeah. There's another really quick story that I'll share is that, you know, I was meeting my sister somewhere at a workplace and she's, I have a white sister and she was like, just tell them you're my sister. And I said, Amy, they're not going to believe me. And she was like, yeah. oh, yeah. Like, it just doesn't register mm-hmm. sometimes. So yes. having that registration, like yes. making sure everyone is on the same page yeah. and recognizing that that's going to happen. Mm-hmm. And that, so the adopted person doesn't always have to remind, like, well, actually, <laughs> no, they're not going to believe me that I'm your sister. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yes. Yeah. And, and, and I will also say for the other children in your family, when they come to that realization, we experienced that as a family, that one of our older kids, somebody questioned one of the younger ones whether, and it just really upset them because mm. they, this was their sister and they right. adored the sister and it was, you know, the, and it really, really upset them that somebody would question the connected. Yeah. And, uh, Yeah. yeah. So it's preparing the whole family. The whole family, yeah. But it's it's not an accident that that our, or I think parents need to consciously realize that, especially when their children leave home, that they need to prepare. And it's a hard thing to prepare I mean, because it's a nuanced thing. It is. I mean, what do you say to your child? You're going to be seen as an Asian female. Duh, is what your child will say back to you. <laughs> um, you know what? It might be worth exploring. How do you feel when people see us as a family, mm-hmm. then just, and go from there because, you know, some people experience extreme discomfort going out to a restaurant uh-huh. and, and feel like the waiter's staring at them. Why mm-hmm. are you there, kid? You know, like mm-hmm. yeah, people have that experience a lot. People sometimes when they go on vacation and they're not around people who know their family already, exactly stuff like that. So when you change the circle you you run in, then you will get stares. It's the idea you're a conspicuous family. Exactly. So having maybe start investigating that dynamic mm-hmm. will make the child more aware that that's how the family is perceived, and that's that's one concept of of understanding identity with the family, which is important in understanding the concept of the dynamic without the family. Mm -hmm. And for those people considering adoption, transracial adoption, the realization that no matter what you think, you will become a conspicuous, you will become a family that stands out. You will become a family that when you walk into a restaurant, people will notice you and they will stare. And Mm -hmm. what is your comfort level there? Yes. And how how are you, I mean, there's not a whole lot of things you can do to handle it, but you need to be aware of how do you feel? How do the other people in your family, if you have other children living in your family, how are they going to feel about becoming the center of attention? Yeah. Because you will. 
Yep. It's, it's a huge thing to acknowledge mm-hmm. beforehand. That's a huge thing to think about beforehand. And that's kind of what I was thinking about with, with preparation in terms of boundaries, because you will get questions. You will get scares. You will get inappropriate questions and comments. Mm-hmm. And so preparing yourself to say something in the face of those those comments and questions is important because you will be taken off guard. Mm-hmm. And so that prep also aligns you with being able to be an ally to your entire family. Mm-hmm. I'm so glad you said that. At Creating a Family, we do have resources to help families prepare. But since we're primarily talking about people at the considering stage, mm-hmm. you need to know that that's part of the preparation because, as you said, non very well, you will get inappropriate questions. And the funny thing is that it's often they're not in effect. In my experience, almost always they're not ill intended. Right. But the audience that you really are looking at is the child, assuming right. that their child is there, and so you're you need to prep for how you're going to handle the question in a way that is affirming to the child, yes. not for the person who's asking the question, because quite frankly, you don't have, you know, any, owe any obligation to them. Right. But to your child, you do. <laughs> so you do. And all of this goes into making the decision. Are you the right family? Are you willing to not be, not get angry when somebody asks an inappropriate question, uh, unless it's terribly inappropriate and you feel like that's the, the, the correct response. Mm-hmm. But are you a person who rather likes the being in the, the center and, 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 and likes the idea that, that people are looking at me and making good judgments about me because I'm a person who adopted transracially and that says something positive in my mind about myself. But how is, but what if, what if a child who's already in your family doesn't like being the center of attention? What's that going to do to that child? And what's it going to do? And what if the child you adopt really doesn't like that? And so how are you going to handle that? Huge questions. Mm-hmm. And again, it is, it, I love how you're saying you're, you're focusing in on the child because each child is going to be different. Sure. Some may relish it and just, you know, some may think it's fine. Makes some them may special. Think, yeah. Right. Some mm-hmm. may, may feel, and it also may change at different yes. stages. Uh-huh. So being age-specific sensitive, being stage-specific sensitive, being child-specific sensitive is so important in all of these mm-hmm. conversations. Mm-hmm. There is no one right answer. <laughs> there isn't. That's because there's no one. There, we, there's not, we are not generic as humans. No. But realizing that at the beginning, uh, but when you're considering adopting transracially, I think it's so important. It's, we can't give you the specific answers, but we can, we can tell you that all these things are things that you need to consider. And if you're partnered, you and your partner need to consider. Yes. And uh, yeah, I think all that's so very important. Well, thank you so much, Megan Nonholtz, for being with us today to talk about this. I think it is an important, it's an important topic at the beginning, before we, we spend so much time talking to people after they have adopted. But I think it's so important to talk with folks when they're considering it. (laughs) Absolutely. Thanks so much for having me. 